I'm Ryan Peck. And I'm Nicole Barlow. And this is Soundtrack Your Life, where we talk to a guest about a soundtrack that they feel connected to. Today, our guest is Dan Delgado of the Industry Podcast. Welcome, Dan. Uh, thank you for having me here. Hello and welcome. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners about the industry? Uh, okay, so the industry is a documentary podcast that goes over overlooked film history. Uh, I do it uh, in partnership with Movie Maker Magazine. It's been around since 2018. And uh, I just started, if you're listening, in late uh, 2023, there is a new season that has just started. Very cool. I remember hearing about the industry through um, feedback with your butts. You curated a list, I, I think, last I year. I did. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And I recently curated a list for them a couple months ago. Okay. I probably saw that newsletter because I do read it every week. But what was? I'm just curious. What was on your list? What was your? Um, it was a mix of music and film podcasts. I call I called it Blockbuster Podcast for summer. Oh, you know what? I kind of remember this. Okay. Okay. Very good. So shout out to uh, Ariel, who we both love. Absolutely, one of my favorites in the uh, in the podcasting world. So Dan, today we are going to talk about the Coen Brothers 2013 film Inside Lewin Davis. Yes. So why did you pick Inside Lewin Davis? Well, you know. It's not as though when you invited me, I had a soundtrack like in my back pocket where it's like, oh, yes, it's this, right? I really had to think about it. And I kind of went through several in my mind and was sort of like, you know, weighing them, weighing them out. I'm not a huge soundtrack person. I don't have some giant soundtrack collection. I've only owned a few over the years. And then I don't know when it just popped into my head, but this one popped out and as soon as I thought of it I was like no that's it that's absolutely the one and I think it's because you know some of the other ones that that you know have have lived in my head uh, at times uh the out of uh, out of sight which is one of my favorite movies that soundtrack was the one I was leading toward and while what I love about that soundtrack and I love soundtracks that have like little bits of dialogue in 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 the soundtrack where they take some clips from the movie and they kind of add it in there. This one, Inside Lewin Davis, the songs, anytime I hear the songs, I immediately see those scenes in my head. I immediately see those scenes. I immediately see Oscar Isaac singing them. And and also, you can kind of look at it like, like you're listening to that album that he's running around with, you know, that, that he's dragging all the way to Chicago to try to have your butts popping out of my head uh, that he's running around with, which is called also Inside Lewin Davis. And so it feels like you're listening to that. That's what I really love about it. Like the songs that really get to me from this soundtrack are the ones that he sings. You know, there's a few on here that he does not sing. And I'll be honest, I skip those. But there you go. That's, that's, why, that's why I chose it. And then, Somewhere along the way, this movie went from, like, to me, like, when I first saw it, I saw it when it first came out, and I thought, hmm, I, I like this movie, but that's about it. And then, somewhere in the back of the head, it just started to, you know, I always say how movies kind of grow and shrink in your mind over time, and this one just kept mm -hmm. growing. And I've seen it now several times. It's probably a top five movie for me. 
which I don't know what, what that says about me. I kind of thought about that. Like, what does it say about yourself? But um, so once I thought of this one, it was like, this is the one it has to be. To me, that's the Coen Brothers effect, because every Coen Brothers movie I've ever seen, you watch it the first time and you're like, I don't know. I don't know where it really falls, like the pantheon of movies that I've seen. Like, that was an experience. And then the next day, you can't stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So today I, I'm running around, like, calling my orange cat Ulysses and, like, trying to unpack, like, all these, the, the beginning and the end and this, like, weird kind of time loop effect that you get, like... It's fucking with my head, but in the very best way. Yes. And because I've watched it, this is the first time I've seen it. Apparently, I had a really busy 2013 and it bypassed me entirely. And I'm so grateful for this podcast because it, it you know, popped it back up. Are you just to like kind of figure out like what it means for you that this is your favorite, one of your favorite soundtracks, one of your favorite movies? Are you a folk music fan? OK, yeah, I should clarify. I, Let's talk about that. I am not a folk mu music person at all. I don't have any other, there's not like Peter, Paul, and Mary records somewhere <laughs> in my house. No, no. I don't listen to old Dylan. None of that. Not a folk person at all. To me, it's it's that the, the soundtrack represents the movie and I want to just always have that feeling of of that movie. Uh, of mm. Of that weird, cold, depressing world. <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, movies, it, right? Like it's it's oddly it, it's kind of fun, but it's really depressing. It's a really depressing movie. It's 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 such a downer, but I I keep gravitating towards it. And and weirdly, um, not the, just between you know you me and the Staten Island Ferry, um, I oddly relate to Lewis Davis, and Ooh. and and I, I'm I'm not entirely sure how, but I I just know that I do. Maybe we're all Lewin Davis. I, I think so. For as bleak as this movie is, it is strangely rewatchable. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. I can see myself rewatching it, but then I'm like, why? What is wrong with my like dark, terrible soul that I need to see this again? But I think it's like every Coen Birds, it does have like some really brilliant bits of like very black comedy. Yes. Um, so there are parts of it that are very funny. Um, there are parts of it that are so odd that you kind of want to experience them again. Uh, but overall, uh, it, it's pretty grim. And there are, I think, some criticisms of this movie from um, the people that lived that East Village scene that are like, well, it was actually like a way better time than this. <laughs> like, this is, it was fun. We had a good time. We were all like, whatever, rolling blunts and dancing at the gaslight. Like, it wasn't this bad. But then nobody wants to really watch that movie. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm totally aware of those criticisms. I remember when they happened. Like, I remember Suzanne Vega, who was about two when this movie would have taken place anyway, uh, <laughs> criticizing it. It is not an indictment of everybody from this particular time period. Lewin Davis is not a real person. I know he's loosely right. va based on Dave Van Ronk, but he's not real. And, it, and, and right. honestly, there are other people that you see that perform at the Gaslight who are, are not assholes like Lewin is. It's okay if I say asshole, right? We're okay like that? Yes. Okay. I think I've already said fuck twice. Oh, well. Yeah. No, we're good. Wonderful. I mean, he is called an asshole like all throughout the all film. All throughout the film. And he kind of is one, right? It's kind of hard to deny mm -hmm. that he is one. Yeah. But I don't think, but watching the movie, I didn't think he was, that was indicative of everybody in, in the folk world, right? Um, mm -hmm. He's always able, he's a guy who does not have a home. 
but he's always able to to land on a couch. Someone's always willing to give him a place to stay, even if it's somebody that he's wrong, right? Um, so honestly, the world, you know, if you want to look at it like world building, but like this this tiny, very specific world, how it looks and how it feels is oddly inviting. I, I would love mm -hmm. to go to the gaslight. I would go, love to go in that little coffee shop that he sits at with um, with Gene, you know, uh, I would love to go to those places. They they look very inviting. Uh, the folk folk music is is not so inviting for me, but but everything else I'm 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 in for. That's so fascinating. I was joking when I was watching this last night. It kind of looks like somebody put this gauzy uh, Bob Dylan freewheeling album cover on the entire movie. Like you know that cover where he's like walking with his girlfriend in the East Village, and everything's very like. Yeah, it the whole movie looks like that to me. Yes, yes. Um, but in a good way, where you you, know, you do kind of want to take like a super depressing winter stroll to to a bar. So I get that. It's really interesting to me that you're like folk music. Nah, this movie. Yes, I think maybe that's a testament to how well performed these songs are. Oscar Isaac really blew me away in this. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is the other thing, right? Like what I was saying, it's like you're listening to the to the album that's in the movie that the character has. And then it's the actor who's actually singing it, right? So that does add to it. And yeah, um, yeah, he's really good. Like he's really, really good. good. And I would let Oscar Isaac crash on my couch just for the record, in case anyone's wondering. Maybe that's part, uh, maybe there's something I there. Understand. Like, yeah, you can, you're Oscar Isaac. You can crash he, on my I'd couch. I'd let him crash on my couch, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, right? No, but he's, he's really excellent in this. Really like more, um, more excellent than you have to be as an actor playing a singer. So some pretty impressive turns in this film. He does have a Juilliard background. Well, there you go. Paid off. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, you've got T-Bone Burnett kind of producing the soundtrack. And obviously we know he's a legend. Worked with the Coens before on The Big Lebowski and Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which one album of the year at the Grammys and sold a billion copies. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's another album that I do not have is the Old Brother or Art Thou soundtrack. Even though I love that movie a lot, I do not have that mm -hmm. one because same. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, watch that movie. You know, somebody's putting it on. I will gladly watch it. I'm. I'm yeah. not gonna listen to the Saki Bottom Boys though. Right. I don't think anybody wants to really listen to Man of Constant Sorrow like recreation. You know, it's at the not. time, like that was. I, I would hear it. It was big. Yeah, it was yeah, big. Had, it had it a was moment. weirdly big. Yes. T-Bone Burnett is a cool choice for this movie because he um, is also famous for being part of Bob Dylan's band in the 70s. So he's got, you know, some very real connections to this scene. Um, I was surprised to find out that a lot of these songs are written or co-written by Mumford and Sons. Yes, Marcus Mumford. <laughs> Marcus Mumford. Marcus Mumford. <laughs> he's, uh, he's uh, you know, his dead partner. He's Mike Timlin. It's I, it's funny to me. I don't know. I can't help it. It's funny to me. Um, also, apparently, like, Lewin in Welsh means lion-like. Oh. And then Mumford and Sons have this song called Little Lion Man. And in my drunk brain last night, because I had way too much wine oh, when no, I watched no. this movie, I was like, there's so many lions, man. Folk. Wow. And then and then there's a cat, <laughs> which is sort of, you know, in the same family. And there's a cat. Yeah. That there's this whole cat this theme, whole weird like, connection the whole that's going on here. Yeah. I'm looking at my own orange cat at home and I'm like, you see this, bro? This is wild. Yeah. If you had told me 
in 2012 that there was going to be a movie coming out about the Greenwich Village folk scene and Justin Timberlake was going to be singing in it and Marcus Mumford was going <laughs> to be writing songs for it, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know if this movie's for me. And maybe that's why I skipped it. I don't remember 2013. I'm sorry. But maybe that's why I was like, I don't know. I Before the podcast started, we talked a little bit about how I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Justin Timberlake. I think everybody has their own personal beef with him in some way. I'd like to relegate him to the Trolls movies, and that's kind of it. Wow. So um, the fact that he's kind of a heel in this movie, like he's kind of a doofus with his like dumb novelty song is a little perfect. I was good with that. Yeah, the reaction of, who wrote this song? I did. And yeah, I'm oh like, my God, so good. Oh, yes, yes. It's so good. Yes. That part was so good. Um, and not to like jump right to this, because I feel like it's the one thing that people, not the one thing, but it's probably the thing that if you've never seen this movie, you know, um, is this Dear Mr. Kennedy song that is, it's Justin Timberlake, it's it's Oscar Isaac, and it's Adam Driver doing like the most ridiculous <laughs> backing vocals oh my God. ever committed to film, like ever. Yeah. They're so Adam funny. Adam Driver in a cowboy hat. Oh my God, he's, it's, oh my God, I died. Oh, yeah. I was dying. Outer space. Space. Outer, Outer space. space. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. Yes. Oh my god, it's so genius. It like I remember it when it had a moment, it kind of surfaced and had a moment because it's like oh Kylo Ren and Poe are <laughs> like doing this song about space. <laughs> but I've never seen it in the context of this movie, and I was just beside myself. Tears. So good. I, I also read that this is this feels so appropriate. I guess this is the movie performance where Adam Driver watched it. And he's like, yeah, I'm never watching any of my performances again. I hated so much what I did in this scene and in this film that I can never watch my movies again. That's too bad, but which is really a it shame really is. because it's great. It is. It is fantastic. Um, although yeah, uh, Gene Hackman is somebody who does not watch his own performances that I'm aware of. Yeah, so. I think there are plenty of amazing actors yeah. that are like, I just don't want it in my head, and I kind of get that. But it also is kind of funny that like it's this particular thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, as 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 all podcasters here, like, how are you listening and editing your own voice? Because I'm always like, the the worst. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, everybody. Exactly. Hates it. Yeah, the worst. Yeah, but you do it. If you love the sound of your own voice, like, I, that's fascinating to well, me. Yes. Yeah. Whenever I need to like cut something out for time, it's like, all right, <laughs> cutting out, <laughs> cutting out me. I'm that's me. Right. I'm the first. That's one right. I'm always the most disposable part. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. I'm the first to go. I understand. Yes. Oh, I die. Yeah. Um, Adam Driver as as Al Cody in this movie, just a just a real a real treat because he kind of he kind of moves in to do these backing vocals and then you don't see him much after that. Um, but a real tour de force for being. <laughs> I was in my notes somewhere. I was watching this and I'm like, can we get like, the whole cast of girls, like HBO's girls, in this in this movie? That would have been like a fun <laughs> series of cameos because it's like him and that one other boyfriend from Girls. I I really would have liked to have heard uh, a song off of his album Five and Twenty Questions that you see that he has the you know he yes. has the box of, of the album yes. of unsold albums under his bed that Lewin finds and is just like oh yeah okay I know what this is like and there is kind of this uh, there's this whole theme in the movie of like um, I don't know the artistic disposition and this idea of like constantly trying to make your career and having all of these you know really terrible 
tragic, awful setbacks. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, and then at the end, Bob Dylan comes along and it's like, well, everything you were trying is fucked anyway. It's all going in like a completely different direction, yes. <laughs> which is depressing. It's, it's such a great and perfect ending uh, yeah. that way. Yes. And then it gets the shit beat out of him. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. It's just another week for Lily Davis. Just another week. Yeah. yeah. And it, it gives you the sense of like, okay, well, he's caught in this cycle of artistic rejection and he's just going to be caught in it forever. That's exactly right. Right. Like, I don't believe he's in a time loop. I believe this is just how all his weeks go. They just all go. This yeah. imp- like maybe this one is impressively lousy, but they're all pretty lousy. You know, at the they're all he, they're all pretty he's bad. Always, he's still going to be, you know, couch surfing and uh, making every wrong decision that you could possibly make. Yes, he's not going to learn from this week. No, I don't think he's learning. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, it's 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 a little uh... it's a little possible. Um, I mean. The last song, right, that he sings, which is, uh, you know, where he sings by himself, he sings fairly well. And that's the one that he, he didn't want to sing at the Gorefines, right? And mm-hmm. he gets angry mm-hmm. when, when the Mrs. Gorefine starts singing with him, starts doing the, the backing vocals. And, and right. I don't know, maybe he's progressed to a point where, where he will sing it. I don't know. Then when, when he's done, he's like, that's all I got, which... I don't know what that means. Like, that's all I've got for you tonight, or that's just all I got. It's all I got in me. Yeah, is it, it's it. like it's got two meanings, you know? Yes. It's like it's it's all I've got tonight, but it's maybe all I've got artistically, yes. and I'm tapped out. And then you hear Dylan doing Farewell, and it's this very kind of like parallel in thematic song. Mm-hmm. And he hears him and is kind of like, what's happening? It's just, it's a very... Yeah. The ending is a real, it ends on this note of like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he really, truly is um, in purgatory forever. Yes. Yes. Musical purgatory. Musical purgatory. That could be. Um, Really good ending. And it's still, I'm still thinking about it the next day and how those kind of, those two songs relate to each other. Oscar Isaac's performance of, of that song is so great. Is that, so I think I had read like there are, I think with the exception of one, most of the songs in this film are were cut live. They were like performed live. Which is extraordinary. Like never happens. No, uh, uh, um unless the, the was the the lay Miz, the, the lay Miz, the, they did that live and that wasn't such a good idea. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that podcast. Yeah, yeah. so let's get a comedian and they want to talk about you know, Russell Crowe on and uh, Les Miserables. Uh, but yeah, yeah we do not like talking we, we're not, we're, we can't do <laughs> okay. that. Well, unless it's, I don't Sorry. know, the nice guys or something. Sorry. Maybe we can do that. Oh, I, yeah, I, that's, you know, that's just to talk <laughs> about that movie. I'll talk about that all day. Yeah, just that. But like, I don't want to talk about Les Mis. <laughs> I mean, so George did cut those Bowie covers on set in like one take. Yeah, it's just there's like rare instances where that happens and you feel like it really works. And if you hadn't told me that that they weren't they were live, I, I don't think I would know because they're done so well. They sound so great. Um, really high bar for musical performance in a film. So I've been spending all week thinking about like why we like Lewin Davis, even though he is quite an asshole. Mm-hmm. And um and back to kind of what Nicole was saying about how he, you know, plays this wonderful song at the end. It kind of 
made me think about uh, this recent Replacements box set that came out. I don't know if you're a fan of the rock band, The Replacements. Uh, not, I'm not super familiar, so. So I was reading this article. So they had a they had their 1985 album Tim remixed and like re-released, and um, it's been quite a uh, it's been a success for the band. People have been celebrating this new version of this album. Um, but I was reading this article um, on Racket Racket MN about how like we can enjoy this new version of the album but like let's not mourn this alternate timeline where like this album would have launched the replacements into being the next great band that everyone wished they were and i kind of see in lewin davis kind of the same sort of self-destructive behavior that was in paul westerberg or the replacements where like even if this version of Tim had come out instead of the original one, they would have found a new way to fuck things up. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> and I guess that's why we love Lou and Davis. We love an underdog, self-destructive person. Like someone that is super talented, but yes. always gets in their own way. We love that sort of underdog. Yeah, yeah. Somebody who's sort of like uh, born to lose, even though... Even though he he does have the chops and he does have um, sort of this myopic vision of of what everything should be, and but you know just like anybody who has a tremendous talent, you're over you're able to overlook some things that maybe you shouldn't look right overlook. Like I loved Lewin Davis as a character. I loved watching him in the movie. I don't know if I'd want to be his friend. Like if I met him in real life, honestly, and I don't I don't know that he'd want to be my friend either. By the way, I could see him, you know tossing some some insults my way if I were to run into that guy. Um, but the, the the nonstop dedication to his crafts, his his uh, the unwillingness to sell out, right? Uh, how spiteful he can be watching other people be successful, especially if he considers them less talented. Uh, all of those things, I think, are relatable. To, mm-hmm. to to anybody who's pursuing anything, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, it's the cost of being, like, uncompromising yes. in your art, whatever you think that is, and how that will um, maybe keep you from ascending, but it will also prevent you from doing something that's against your, you know, inner nature or your, your values as a musician. Because he's constantly working against his kind of best interest <laughs> in most ways. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Making horrible decisions all the time, all the time. Like the movie, you know. But he also doesn't have a, a novelty song about like Kennedy and a reluctant spaceman. So he's and he's good with that, you know. Like he's he's good with like that's I didn't have I didn't lead that right. I'm not part of that. I don't want to be somebody's like third in the Kingston trio. Like that's not for me. That no. And no. he's clear about that. He's very clear about that. Yes, he's very clear about that. The fact that he goes and makes this incredible, ridiculous journey to to, to Chicago to to the Gate of Horn, and then he sings that like this is like a pilgrimage to get out there to perform, and you know he sings that song, so depressing and so beautiful, and it's as though he feels everything has led up to this moment, and. The perfect response, which it just captures the entire movie, is, you know, Bud Grossman saying, I don't see a lot of money here. 
Like that. It, oh my God. Yes. I, I honestly <laughs> cannot think of a more crushing thing for him to hear. Right. Is that in his mind, when I get out there and I talk to somebody real like Bud Grossman at the Gate of Horn in Chicago, where they understand music, they're going to see my genius. And to get out there and to find out that that guy is just another guy who's looking for a buck. It's just, man, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's so <laughs> wonderful. It's so awful, but it's so wonderful. Oh, my God. Like It's that so line. awful and wonderful. Yeah. The way that he gets cut down and yes. that just in that one moment yes. is, ugh, is... Ooh, it's bad. And that, so that depressing song that he sings, correct me if this is wrong, but I think it's Death of Queen yes, Jane. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's it. It's Death of Queen Jane. And again, there's kind of like, for me, like a Dylan parallel there. Because like, unfortunately, I grew up a weird kid listening to Bob Dylan a lot. Um, there's, a, there's a Bob Dylan song called Queen Jane, approximately, which is kind of like about a girl in the village. So I feel like it's like he's constantly chasing coattails. He's constantly yes. like trying oh, to yeah. edge towards something great. And he never gets there. And in the on the way, you know, he goes on these like terrible side quests where like, you know, um, you've got John Goodman like dying in the back of a car. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and that other dude like being arrested. And it's all very like, well, you you kind of did all that for, for nothing. Yes, you did all yes, he did all that for nothing. He went through all of that for nothing. Yeah. All of that for nothing. But John Goodman's character is another thing that's still kind of like haunting me about this <laughs> <Yeah>. film. <laughs> like, holy shit. I always think of him sort of like scoffing at the fact that uh Lewin's partner uh threw himself off the wrong bridge. Didn't throw didn't throw himself off the uh the Brooklyn Bridge. The George right, Washington who's what you're supposed bridge. to do? Who does that? You know, like the lines like, that, that John Goodman gets in this movie, like, oh my <laughs> god! Um, and then him going like kind of gas station to gas station, spending too much time in restrooms, shooting up, and like trying to off himself. Basically, is very like, is very like felt very like mythologized rock and roll, country music shit. It's like Hank Williams, like dying on the road between gas stations or something. Like it just felt very ominous and correct, <laughs> and correct. <laughs> for this yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of did. Yes. It seemed like severely Coen Brothers shit. Is, oh, I guess what I'm trying right. to say. Absolutely. Like severely their shit. I was like, like John, first of all, John Goodman's presence is severely Coen Brothers shit, right? Like once he shows up, Every time he's in one of their movies, it's written for him, like that role written for him in mind. Right. So yeah, like right. just you see him, it's like, oh yeah, all right, of course I am. Of course I'm here in the, with the Coen Brothers. Yeah, I mean, even this whole like it's semi based off the autobiography of of Dave Van Ronk. <laughs> Musically, it's stylized after Dave Van Ronk, but it's definitely not about Dave Van. Ronk. Yeah, that's true. Like that's such a Coen Brothers sort of like plot about something. Yeah. It's like the beginning of Fargo where it says this is based off a true story, but it's, it's not. not. It's <laughs> not. No, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, if you're Dave Van Ronk or anyone associated with him, you're like, no, but wait, it's just, I was I was actually nice. That's right. Because he said that, right? Like, no, no, no. Like, Dave was nice. Yes. I Yes. I remember that <laughs> over and over again. Like, oh, he was nothing like this. Please <laughs> <We> stop. <laughs> like, but again, nobody wants to watch that movie. Like, I think all the the kind of bit characters that you see, like at the gaslight, or that you see performing in in different contexts, that have like these 
you know, very like conservative sweaters on. Um, it's just very like white folk folk in. Nobody wants to watch that movie. That's very like um, a mighty wind. You oh know? my God. Yes. If, mm. if, if we recall that, that film by Christopher Guest, it felt like that. It's kind of hard to like do that scene in earnest because it's so corny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like parodying itself almost. Folk is a lot. Folk is a lot. It really is. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot of, it, you know, it's, this it can just stay over there. I don't know. I don't want to rip folk music since I'm here to, since I brought it in. I'm the one bringing it in. Hey, everybody, look, folk music. And now I'm like, you did. And now I'm also like, at the same time, boo. You did, Dan. Yeah. I'm in shock. You brought this here to us. Let's I was see? prepared to talk about it. This is the kind of asshole move a Lewin Davis might do. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Yeah. Very on theme. That's me. Very on theme. So, I mean, the movie did well, like, critically, mm-hmm. like most Coen Brothers movies do. And, you know, it got nominated for cinematography and a couple of awards at the Academy Awards. It was, I think they submitted Dear Mr. Kennedy for Best Original Song, and the Academy was like, <laughs> we can't accept this. It's a joke song. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's... It's real to me, that's, Academy. That's a bunch of bullshit, because... That song is, yeah, like that song's so memorable. Who does? If you see that movie, you're not gonna forget that that song, that performance. No, it's gonna stay in your head. No, you're not. No, you're not. A, le- a legitimate hit. <laughs> it's a legitimate. And like hit, Nicole said, yes. like pe- pe- it has, it has kind of outlived the movie. Not outlived, but it's kind of found a no, life of its it own. It has. No, 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 you were absolutely correct. Yeah. Like I would like the next Academy Awards to have Jack Black performing Peaches. And I would like uh, Dear Dear Alien by the uh, Asteroid City cast. And I would like Ryan Gosling to perform I'm Just Ken. Like, joke songs are great. Well, that's the thing. It's like, what qualifies as a joke song? It's either a song created for a movie or it's not. You don't get to say whether it's a joke. That, yeah, that seems unfair. Yeah, if, if it's a song and it's in a movie and it's an original song, it should qualify. Yeah, I mean, it, it, should, it should be judged on what it does for cinema not to get all scorsese on no this, please do like, please do to me yes. that song is cinema yes it is i mean it's wouldn't amazing. you want to see adam driver going outer space on stage space. at the oscars this is what people would tune in to actually watch so you know yeah we were robbed of that we really were. moment that's super upsetting like there are a lot of things that i can't forgive the academy for but i'm just oh that's my list like Elliot Smith <laughs> being denied Adam Driver. Yeah, come Sufjan. on, Academy. Lighten up, Sufjan. The list just keeps getting longer, is all I'm saying. I understand. No Muppets performance. <laughs> Give the people what they want, you know? So I hate having to compare this soundtrack to the O Brother War Art soundtrack because it's not really fair, right? Yeah. Do what you need to do. That's what I say. If we have to compare, it's not fair, Cohen but it's, it's fair. It, 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 yeah, it is fair. It, it, I, I don't think it's unfair. I think it's actually very fair. Yeah, I do too. And they also shot like a made-for-TV like special, like they did with uh, a brother Arthur celebrating the music. Yes, yes, yes. And so it is called "Another Day, Another Time," celebrating the music of Inside Lou and Davis. And I was listening to this. Uh, album this week because I couldn't find all of the actual soundtrack album on streaming. 
but it was like a bunch of bluegrass artists. It was like the Punch Brothers and uh, like Jillian Welsh, who also worked on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And Dave Rawlings. And mm-hmm. I was like, I thought this was a folk album. I know that, you know, they're kind of cousins of each other, folk and bluegrass, but I was like, this is just the same people you would get for the Oh Brother concert <laughs> album. Why are they doing folk songs? That is kind of weird. Yeah. But maybe there's crossover. Maybe it's the T-Bone Burnett production factor too. Like, did he produce any of those artists? Because I know that he's done production for like Alison Krauss and people in that kind of, um, that genre. So I don't know. Or maybe it's just the, you know, the Coens being the Coens too. I mean, I assume anything that is like remotely folky, like Chris Tilly has to be involved. See, you're all saying a bunch of names. I don't know who the hell these people are. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you. Like, there's a lot of names going on here. I don't know. Dan's like, I didn't come here to talk about folk music. I don't know know what what mistaken impression you were under. (laughs) I mean, to go back to that for a second, though, do you have like a favorite song from this movie? Is there something that like you're like, oh, man, like that's it? Oh, yeah. Fear thee well. And it's the um, it's the one, you know, not the Oscar Isaac solo one, but it's the Mm -hmm. the one with his with his deceased partner. That's you know, I don't think that it's Marcus Mumford. Marcus Mumford. it's Mike Timlin who uh, who is also singing on that. And when I hear that, that's the song that they use for the trailer. And there's like five, whatever, five versions of the trailer. But when I hear that, mm-hmm. I see that trailer in my head. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it just overall just really gives me the feeling of of mm-hmm. that movie. Like when I hear that song, I just see the struggle of this asshole running around Greenwich Village. That like I see him, you know, just doing all of the. The things he's doing, you know, chasing after a cat, riding the subway, uh, you know, angering Carrie Mulligan, all the things that he does uh, in the movie, getting punched in the face, all that good stuff. So, yeah, that is by far my favorite song on the soundtrack. And I think we asked this a lot on on the podcast, but do you love this soundtrack because you love the movie? Absolutely. And because the sa- yeah, yeah, the soundtrack is the, the movie. The soundtrack is the movie. Yes, it is my yeah. it is my pick because it is an extension of the movie. Yes, if if mm-hmm. you just gave me this soundtrack and said, "Here, why don't you go ahead and, and enjoy this piece of music?" I I would be like, "Well, this was very nice," and probably not play it again. But because when like if you were to bring up the songs on the soundtrack i can remember what scenes that they go along with right mm. uh pretty much so that's why i, I like the soundtrack because i love the movie so much yeah it's something that i i love about the soundtrack to this film is that you know most of the most of the tracks are created for the movie so it's really its own kind of like fake universe of folk so i i think you don't have to like or engage with folk music from the 60s to feel something out of this. It's its its own deal, um, at, with the exception of a couple of tracks. I think that's kind of fantastic. I think that's what soundtrack, you know, that's what it should be, is something that's unto itself. Yeah, I mean, whether you only know folk music from this movie or whether, you know, you grew up listening to Dylan as a kid, um, you can appreciate it either way, right? Like, you can... Appreciate it as its own work, or you can appreciate it as like, oh, like this really does fit the style of the time, and there's probably like some connections to these other songs that, you know, were were real songs. Yeah, absolutely. Like it feels like um, I've got the actual album that he's going on. You know, like I think of uh, Grossman tapping on it and say, "Play me something from here. Play me something mm. from inside." Lewin Davis. Like, oh, that's. 
that's it. That's that's so that's what I have. That's what I'm listening to. Listen to the same thing. It's a great impression. Thank you very much. It's been working on it all week. <laughs> and I remember that from the trailer too. Exactly. Exactly. And when I hear Fare Thee Well, I hear that's at the end of the trailer. Absolutely. Yes. But it's not a gateway drug to folk, this this well, soundtrack, which is funny to me. It's, it's like clear, it's just not no. It's not the marijuana that's going to get you into harder stuff, harder folk. No, if if anything, it should be a gateway drug that would get you into other Coen Brother films. That's the only gateway that I'm that yeah. I'm personally suggesting here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go through the same sort of time loop hell with the Coen Brothers, you can watch <laughs> A Serious Man. Because <laughs> I feel like they're very similar movies, but I feel like Inside Lewin Davis is like a million times more rewatchable. Oh, yes, that's true, because I have never rewatched A Serious Man. Which isn't to say, Me neither. It's, it's not to say I didn't like it. I, I felt like I don't need to do that again, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. exhausting. Well, because yeah. I feel like Coen Brothers movies fall into those two camps. It's either the camp of like, Ooh, that was f- brilliant, and I never, ever want to see it with my eyes again. And then that was brilliant, and I don't know about it, but I want to watch it 57 times in a row. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's like the Lebowskis and this film, and there's a lot of, this is kind of separation between like the two things. Yeah. Like. Yeah, there's like, uh, there's your Coen brothers that are like, super fun movies and then there are ones yes. where it's like oh this is some version of hell that these people are in and i don't know if i want to go back there uh yes no that's that's exactly right yeah and a common and... criticism is that they don't always feel it doesn't always feel like they care about their characters and even though they put lewin davis through hell i feel like they <laughs> still care about him <laughs> i almost feel like they're like um i dare you to care about this guy a little bit but you know i do i do legitimately care about him when he's performing for for bud grossman you know when he gets to that to that moment and it's like okay this this feels like everything this feels like it's all led up to this i'm i'm so rooting for him in that moment i'm like okay man this is it all the terrible things that you've done and that you've gone through it's led up to to this moment here and I'm like, okay, I hope he knocks it out of the park, which he does, but not in the way Bud Grossman wants him to. So, but um, I definitely care about Lewin Davis. Yeah, I'm definitely rooting for him the entire time. You know, even though, I mean, geez, he, I mean, here's a guy who is gonna ask the the husband for money for an abortion <laughs> for his wife. They, he got pregnant. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> it's not, it's a very, not great. It's not great, you know? right? That's not a great it's thing It's not great. And there's also this implication that this is just kind of what he does. That he, right. What does she say? Like, you should, like, wrap yourself in, like, 57 condoms yes. or something and just at all times mm-hmm. because you're horrible. You're a horrible person that should just be, like, a walking condom. Um, <laughs> there's some really great lines from her in this movie right. as and well. Right, and then when he goes to pay the for the abortion, he doesn't have to because an abortion he paid for previously, the the girl decided to keep the baby and not tell him. Right. Again, the comedy is black. Okay. Like it's black. Um, there's a lot of like storytelling that kind of happens in the margins and there are characters that you never see, but you see kind of like the reverb from those decisions happen throughout the movie. I think the reason that you care about him too, is you, the songs are so great and the Mm -hmm. songs are so, you know, soulfully done and, and written and told. So you, I think, you know, it's, 
back to kind of like the Westerberg thing, right? Like, yeah, um, there is this like archetype in music of like the true asshole, but how could an asshole produce something like that magical and wonderful and, you know, connected to their humanity? I think that's kind of the reason they put the cat in it too, right? Like he's kind of overly concerned about like the the well-being of this cat. I think in most instances in the movie, mm-hmm. he has compassion. He does feel bad. He just is also like propelled to keep going and keep trying to find the thing that's going to make it all make sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, we, we should not overlook the idea that somebody has an abortion credit. Like I, I <laughs> I don't know that that's frequent abortion card. I don't know that that's ever happened before. Yeah, it's almost like it came in with like you know, yeah, it had the five punches. There you go. Oh, hey, like Like, oh, you don't need to pay for this. You got a free one. Free one. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Oh God, I was gonna compare it to Yogurt Land, and then I realized how bad that would sound. It sounds bad either way. There's nothing good about it. In fact, we should probably move off the topic. I'm sorry, I made that reference. (laughs) Well, you know, it's part of the movie. It is part of the movie. So. It's Send your emails. It's important to, to the film. Okay. Mm-hmm. You could argue that it should be more important to Lewin Davis. <laughs> He's the one that doesn't seem to care that this keeps happening. That's true. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's it's a kind of a comedy of really bleak, tragic errors. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that uh, just seems to be uh, doomed to keep happening. Yeah, and again, when he like comes back to when he's at the party at the at the professor's house, and he they figure out that like he's brought them the wrong cat. Oh he's brought them the cat that isn't their cat. Yes. It's, it's like he's not even male, and she's holding up the cat. And she's like, "Where is his scrotum, Lewin?" <laughs> well, you know, I mean, where's its scrotum? I can't get it out of my head. It's so he, funny. he does like he, he's sitting in that coffee shop, and then just sees a cat walking down the street, and is like, "Oh." This must be, that's got to be it. As though the city wouldn't just be teeming with random, you know, small animals. As though he's just, right. he just moved to, to New York City and is not aware that there's possible that there's he's other He's concerned cats. about the cat, but has not paid enough attention to the cat to know which is the actual exactly. cat. Okay, it's really hard to tell, like, orange boys apart, though. Let's just be fair to Lewin in that instance. Like, it's yeah. they're similar, right? Yes, yes. I, I probably would not have just, you know picked up that cat roaming down the street and said, oh, this must be the cat, you know? Right. I had a whole conversation last night where I'm like, I wonder if they used multiple cats on purpose or because there are like cat labor laws that are really strict. This cat labor laws? Is there a union? Is there a cat union where you can only use like... According to Wikipedia, it's because cats don't really follow directions like dogs. They just (laughs) use a bunch of cats. I mean that also makes sense. Yeah, that's... Here I am thinking about the cat union. It's really just that they they can't. Perform. Yeah, just that they're... <laughs> they're terrible mm-hmm. at it. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Obviously, I'm like delighted by this film. Just, you, like, you need to think more like Lewin and just kind of live in the moment. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I did have to fast forward a little bit, like through the the cat getting hit by a car. Oh, I know. Oh my god. Oh I, don't, I didn't love that. I was like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think in my <laughs> in my show notes, I was just like, fast forward for cat harm, no. And then I'm Googling. I'm that person that Googles, like, does the cat die <laughs> in a movie? <laughs> does the dog die? You know, I'm that person that needs to know if there's I, like... I understand. I just need to steal myself. I don't want to spoil the whole movie. I just need to know like that aspect mm-hmm. of it. Yes, so. sure. Grateful for the people out there that are making that clear. 
for people like me. Um, animal violence, another Coen Brothers trope. 100%. Why do you think I was Googling it? I was like, oh, fuck. They're not going to do me this way. This can't happen. Shooting dogs in old country for old, no country for old men. See, that falls in the camp of like, I've seen that movie one time. Oh, yeah. And it's brilliant. And I'm so not ever going to watch it again. Oh, yeah. Is everybody clear on the ending of that one? Because I'm not. And you could explain it to me. I'll still won't be clear on the ending of that movie. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not clear on it, but I'm OK with it. Well, I, yeah. I'm OK with it because I'm probably not going to watch it again. But like, it annoys me. It, it, it Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, it, it legit annoys me that where you know that movie plays out as as a thriller for like 85% of the movie and then like the climactic thing is off screen and it's like i guess i guess it didn't matter it didn't matter what were we doing the whole time why are we running around with Josh Bro? <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't matter what are you talking about you're going to resolve it with Tommy Lee Jones just saying some cryptic shit in a chair and like what? <laughs> That's the ending? I'm sorry. I'm just Why did on. you do this to yes, me? Tommy you... Lee Jones might as he might as well have just opened the book <laughs> on Cormac McCarthy and just started reading from it. Yes. Yeah, what, what what I remember walking out of that theater and being like what? Like up until that moment, up until we get to that point, I'm like, wow, this movie's amazing. It's completely gripping. This is great. And by the, that ending, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, know. it's one of those endings where you're like, D- is it intentional and does it have some kind of artistic meaning that I'm just not cool enough to understand? Yes. Or, or did they just not know how to end it? Because that that's the argument, right? Uh, is that they do get some flack no, for that. That is, there is intent behind that ending. That's done on purpose. You're not killing your main character off screen and then we're just going to like roll up on it. And like all it all happens. What? That's, that's clearly intent. It's upsetting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's upsetting. upsetting. But, it's so many aspects of that movie are upsetting in ways yeah. that, like, it's a, it's a traumatic movie for me. I just don't want to think about it longer than I have to. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that as as a Coen Brothers fan and, like, in full recognition of their genius. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Any movie they, that comes out, I'm there. Opening weekend. I All right, let's go. Let's go see it. I was very eager to see that one. And, yeah, um, that ending. It's still, you know. I'm sure that the people who love that ending or who understand it, they probably think that's a great, great movie. Yeah, well, they're pretend they're lying to themselves. They're also probably really insufferable. So that's why they read the book. They can have it. Or they read the, <laughs> or they read the book. They're just big Cormac McCarthy fans. So that's fine. <laughs> that could be. Yes, yes. To each their uh-huh. own. Yes. Yeah. I only remember, I remember three things from that movie. I remember Josh Brolin dying off screen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Tommy Lee Jones like ending the movie on like some sort of monologue I didn't understand, and Josh Brolin shooting some dogs. Oh, okay. I do. You, do you not remember the? Um... Oh, and the cattle yeah, gun. Cow knocker. The cattle gun. The cattle gun. Yeah. yeah sure. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, if you're not remembering the cow knocker, it's because you blocked it out. Yeah. Like I did. I mean, yeah. I'm not a violent person, but that's a really cool way to kill people. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan is like famous on this podcast for not loving oh, like a violent film. Okay. So like we don't, we have a hard time covering like Tarantino because Ryan's, you know, like this. I do like, not I don't like a watch. gory film. Okay. Well, violence, gore, you know, tomato, tomato. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so it's funny that you say that. <laughs> like, yeah, let's do the Saw movie next. Yeah. Ryan's changed. I did not know what, what the uh, cattle gun was prior to that. So like when he pulls it out, yeah, and he puts either. it to the guy's head. I'm like, what's going to happen? I knew it wasn't good, whatever this was. So I was like, don't let that guy put that on your forehead. But 
Uh, I was like, oh, okay, that's what that is. That's what that does. Yeah. Pretty amazing, though, that the Coen brothers can do that movie and everything in that movie that is legitimately, like, very scary and awful. And then um, also create something like Dear Mr. Kennedy. (laughs) That's the... They do have a writing credit on the song. You know, what range? That's just amazing range. (laughs) That is the beauty of the Coens, you know. Um, they're, cause they're just like, okay, well we did that. Um, now we just want to write, I don't know. We want to get JT in here. We want to get Kylo in here. Um, and we're just going to make like, we saw Dick in the box that worked. That well, was a good novelty song. When, um, Force Awakens came out the, the first of this new trilogy of Star Wars movies. When I, uh, saw them in the movie, I was like, whoever is casting this movie for LucasArts must really like Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, so that's a question that I had. Does anybody know if that's, was? is there something there, some connection, or is it just completely coincidental that they ended up in the same franchise? I I, I don't have an answer, but I'm going to guess it's coincidental. I just, like, I don't know. It felt, it's really weird. I know the internet has already collectively noted that, but it's pretty weird. I mean, um, you know, Oscar Isaac and Carrie Mulligan, they're both in Drive before mm-hmm. this movie and you just like mm-hmm. mm, was that a thing i don't know i don't know yeah i mean i i guess it's also just um adam driver is such a compelling and like unique actor mm-hmm. in his own right and i think uh i think people saw him sort of earlier in his career and were like we're just gonna cast him in everything where we need like a presence so i guess it shouldn't be surprising the man is booked and busy. Yeah, I'm a little surprised he's not in more Cohen Brother movies because they kind of have like a certain look to certain to, to actors that they like to use, and he really kind of fits it. You know, there are certain people that you look in, and it's like, oh yeah, this person this person fits right. Like, uh, right, like whoever the kid is that's, that's playing his nephew, and yeah, like, that kid looks like he belongs in a small part in a Cohen Brothers movie. Like that kid is perfectly cast. Yeah, I said the same thing about Maya Hawk and Wes Anderson. Like she looks like she's oh, made yeah. for Wes Anderson movies. Yes, who, who also seems to like to kill animals, by the way. Yes, well, I there's do. a lot of similarities, I right? Do. Where there's a lot of very kind of like um, I don't know, stoic or stilted dialogue. I think that they both kind of lean into, and you kind of feel like, well, why should I care about their characters? But it's all in service. I think of like a greater story. I think that's just their their kind of storytelling wheelhouse. But yeah, Wes Anderson hates dogs. Like, fact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> unnecessarily, you know. Like, it's uh, it's brutal. Like, and I love him too. But... I love him too. But, you know, why does that dog have to die in Moonrise Kingdom? Is that necessary? Was that? It's so unnecessary. It's, it, it's just weirdly random. It's so Why does Jeff Goldblum have to hit the dog with the newspaper in Life Aquatic? It's, and it's, it's right. And it's shit like that where you're just like, okay, I was like needlessly yeah, mean. It, there doesn't even need to be a dog there in the scene. Yes, it it it, it keeps happening, you know, and it is filmed with some random animal who gets like, gets killed. And you, I mean, there's a, did there's any, a pattern it, here. I, I don't know. Did he get bit when he was a kid? Like, what what is this about? Wait, what What's happened to you? When here? yeah? When did dogs hurt you? No, totally, it's very weird. Know, it, yeah, at least in Tenenbaums, bombs, it kind of felt like it fits. Kind of, no, but it's also like no, the. No, oh, I'm, I, was, God. I was just thinking about that. With, it, it's not necessary. It's just like Tenenbaums is the worst we one. Need to have, we, this is the me. stakes that we need to have. Is is the dead dog? This is the. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, from that. Uh, yeah, 
brutal. Just brutal. I was just happy that in in Lou and Davis that the cat it's kind of like mythical. So therefore, like at least in my mind, like is never dead. It's sort of like a Schrodinger's cat situation or something. Where it's like it's everywhere, it's everything, it's everyone. So the cat can't die. And that's how I'm that's how I slept at night, you know? Like the cat's mine. We're good. Whatever gets you through the night. Mythical quest cat. I understand. Yeah, it may not even exist. Yeah. It may just be part of his oh, man. like conscience. It's a figment. Who knows, right? And and then you find out at the end the cat's <laughs> it's name his is moral center. The, <laughs> yeah. The cat. It's and you find out the cat's name is Ulysses. It's at Tyler the end. It's a Tyler Durden situation. I, Tyler I like the Tyler Durden cat. It's his moral center because it keeps running away from him. So that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, and there's that scene. I don't know. Can you tell? I just like, made that I up in this podcast. I, I, it you sounded just... like you just made it up, but I, I, I kind of like it. And usually, like theories like that are usually like, I ah, get out of here. But you know what? Uh-huh. Something to that. I like that. That's line. Ryan's film school education coming through. Nice. Fuck Juilliard, yeah. Oscar Isaac. Nice. nice. I, I will. Uh, this is embarrassing. I remember, you know, being like eighteen, nineteen, like in film school, and people, you know. People making conversation would be like, "Oh, so you're gonna you you think you're gonna be like the next Spielberg or something?" And I'd be like, "No, no, no, Coen Brothers. I'm gonna be like the Coen Brothers." <laughs> if <laughs> and they'd be who? If if I were you <laughs> in that situation, I probably would have said like the same thing. So I understand. I totally understand that. Yes. Yeah, I'd be like, "No, no, not not Spielberg. Yeah. Joel and Ethan Coen." Is is are, are is that your top of the mountain for you? Are those are the Coens? I I would say so. What's your favorite Coen? I like to be pretentious and say Hudsucker. I loved Hudsucker. Wow. Oh my God, I, I love like Hudsucker. that for you. Hudsucker is great. But it's also the first one I saw, so that's <laughs> why uh, I loved it. I, it's really, it's great though. It, yeah, like being like, I feel like more 13, people should like, know. Like, Absolutely. There, you can make a movie like this? This movie's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This, it's also a good way to waste like $35 million from Joel Silver, but. I can specifically remember going way out of my way to see that, right? Like that comes out and I I dragged my girlfriend at the time down to, uh, down to Miami, which is like an hour for me. And we go, we see it when it first comes out. And I thought it was the best thing. I was blown. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh my God. I love this. She hated it. And I just, I was, I was baffled. I was, it's, it's a movie where I was, it's a time where I was completely baffled. That not everybody loved this movie. I was like, "What do we?" Then I found other people who had seen it eventually and did not care for it. And it it really strikes me because it's like, how do you not enjoy something that moves that fast? That's that funny. That's just it's just so damn clever. And it's just constantly topping itself, scene after scene. How do you not love that? Those performances, Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh my god, so good. Hot Sucker was so good. Yeah, how do you not love that movie? Sidewalk is wearing Hudsucker. <laughs> you know what? After that movie, I started saying when somebody died that they merged with the infinite. Because, <laughs> like, th- that phrasing so good. I've never heard it anywhere else, but it's so good. I think all of their movies enter your consciousness in a way that, uh, you know, a lot of filmmakers just can't do. And so, you know, this argument over like, it's great, it's not great. Like it's, this is this is cinema here. Like these things are, are part of my consciousness and my fabric, these movies, mm-hmm. whether I am watching them twice or watching them once or watching them 57 times, you know, like it's part of 
who I am as a person, I feel. And I, I'm very mad at myself for never watching Lewin Davis in, in 2013. So this feels like a really good course correction. Well, I'm very happy about it. I'm delighted by this. I mean, I, I'm impressed that, you know, you, you've you taken to it so quickly because it did not happen for me. I, I saw it and I appreciated it. And then over time and over multiple watchings, it's like, oh, and now it's like maybe a top five movie for me, like of, of all time. Like it's an absolute favorite. And uh, yeah, very excited actually. I'm really thrilled to, to share all this Lewin Davis talk with somebody. Oh, so great. And I really, I took a walk around the walk this morning and I was like, oh, I can't stop thinking about this. So it, that must mean something. I, I think I went from being okay with it to it being really great. Yeah. And I'm definitely gonna watch it again. And I don't think that it's gonna have um, the same impact if I end up watching that Timothy Chalamet movie where he plays Bob Dylan that's coming out. Like, I feel like that's probably not <laughs> gonna do the same thing to my brain. <laughs> Call me crazy. Sorry, Tim. It's gonna remain a superior folk film is what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't know what else we can do here. I mean, I don't know. How, yeah. how do you feel? About, I, I, oh, what is that movie called where it's the multiple people are playing like variants? I'm, I'm not there. Yes, yes, that is. How do you feel about that, Nicole? not look for at, me look at that just look at the look on the face I'm it's happy. just it's not for me you know it's not for me and you double and you love todd haynes yeah and it wasn't for me but and i do love todd haynes it just it wasn't it wasn't for me you know i'm like a huge velvet goldmine fan and i love todd haynes and I think a lot of what he does is super interesting but it's just it's not my favorite um so i don't know right. I, I don't think it was for a lot of people um so yeah i don't think i don't think you're alone there I did a, I'm not alone. I did appreciate the attempt, though. I thought, okay, this is an interesting yeah. idea. I don't think you, you, yes. you quite got there, but I, I did like, I like the idea, and I like the casting. You know, all right, we're we're going kind of all over yeah, with the casting. Uh, that's cool, but yeah, it doesn't doesn't quite work. An attempt was made. It's just there's too many yeah. inconsistencies. I I think he was smart in realizing that no one wants like a standard dylan biopic right well and that's why i'm kind of not to harp on this timothy chalamet biopic that's coming out i think eminently but i feel like it's just it's such a hard thing to do and now having seen timothy chalamet do this like weird gene wilder like willy wonka impression where it's like i'm trying to be silly i'm just imagining him in like <laughs> curly wig being like Ugh, it's not gonna work there's no way it's going to work for me. It's just too hard to make that work straight up and down. Like you do have to do something weird with it. And I think that's why Lewin Davis is so great, right? Because they maybe wanted to tell a story about this time period, but they didn't want to do it in a traditional way. I mean, would you rather watch a biopic or would you rather watch Lewin Davis? I mean. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's like. There's no biopic that I don't, I don't know anybody who's like. Yeah, that's the biopic I go back to. Like you watch one right? and you kind of respect it a little bit for, you know, and maybe they've recreated a certain certain things that, that happened that we all know from that one particular person. But then it's over and then you move on with your life and you probably never even really think about it again. Right. Right. And I don't know if this is unpopular, but like I hated Bohemian Rhapsody. I really didn't like Rocket Man. Like it's, these films just do not do it for me. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. It's tough. Like the Elvis movie. Kind of excited for this Sofia Coppola version. But not um I was not, not like the, 
The Baz Luhrmann Elvis was like, was like a lot. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann anything is a lot. It was a lot and also nothing because it was so conservative, I think, in its approach to its central character. You could tell it was kind of like run by the estate. Now I'm off on like a total tangent. But point being, I agree. I think like it's nice to see something about a music genre and a period of time that isn't centered on somebody that you already know so well that it's impossible to make it anything other than like kind of a weird um, parlor trick kind of like party clown you're someone playing Bob Dylan. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're... They don't even show him in this film. And Lewin Davis, it's like, it's just kind of, there's a shadow of him almost. You don't see... Mm-hmm. Exactly. The actor. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very effective way of doing that, right? Because you know who it is. You know what's going on, right? If if you know, you know exactly what's going on in that moment right. and what's going on for, for, for Lewin Davis as he's seeing that then happening. I'm sure you've all seen Walk the Line. Did, did you... Oh, did yeah. Did you watch mm-hmm. it again? No, okay. I mean I then remember liking it, and then I remember, and then I was like, you know what's better? Walk hard. <laughs> See, that's exactly <laughs> the point. That's, that's exactly the truth. The point, because a lot of times I, I would say that I like them, I just don't <laughs> care about them. I think that's the difference. Yeah, they're, you know, they're yeah, maybe a little stilted, maybe a little too beholden to what their subject matter is, as opposed to something like like Lewin Davis, which, like you said, it's you know we're going to give you the time and the place and the music. But we don't actually have to stick to this is what happened to this person. We can we can, 100%. We can instead make the guy a, an unlikable asshole that we're going to make you care about anyway. Right. Yeah. And I think as um, as people that appreciate music, I, if I want to understand Johnny Cash, you know, I'll listen to like the America albums or something like I'm not going to watch Walk the Line. <laughs> it just doesn't feel necessary to me. It doesn't feel like an access point. It just feels kind of like a, a put on. It, it's not important to me. So your point, well taken. I think that's very true. Thank you. But I love movies about music. I just don't love biopics. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, does anybody like, all right, so is anybody like 24-hour party people? I don't think I've seen that. What I saw that? it once and I did like oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, I'm missing. Okay, well, File missing. Maybe that could be something that you'd look into because it is about a time and a place and a certain music. And it is actually sort of a biopic, right? Because it's about real bands and it's about a real person, but it's very loose. And the main character, uh, Tony Wilson, who was a real person, but he's very disconnected in a way. He, he's he's mm-hmm. the main guy, but he's like, look, the, the he literally tells you the story's not about me. It's about all this other mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. So. Oh, Steve Coogan is in this. Okay, well, come back on the podcast and we'll talk about 24-Hour Party You people. know, if you want me to, I will gladly do that. Oh, yeah, we had a blast talking to you about Lou and Davis. Ah, well, well, great. I was happy to talk about it. It's one of my favorites. So, um, Dan, where can people find the industry? Ah, well, you could fi- well anywhere you could get a podcast. Uh, but also, industrypodcast.org would be the main, you know, that, that is my website, so all the episodes are there. But, you know, if you can't find it on Apple or Spotify or wherever, then you could go to my website. And you guys are launching a new season. Yes, we are two episodes into a new season. Episodes come out uh, every other week. I'm not sure how many episodes are going to be in this season. I think six. If if I can squeeze out a seventh, if I can think of a seventh, then maybe I'll have one, uh, which means I probably have about two months to figure that out. So... 
but that's the plan right now. Very cool. And are you are on Twitter? You are on Blue Sky as well. I am. Yes, that's right. I, yes, I I am on on Twitter or X. So if if you need to find me there, yes, uh, underscore Dan underscore Delgado, and I am on X. I mean, I'm, I am on Blue Sky, and well, heck, you're gonna have to put my name in there because I'm not sure what it is. Dan Delgado dot B Sky dot whatever you have to. That is, right. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. But if you put my name in, you'll find me there. <laughs> But yeah, more people. We need more people on Blue Sky. Please, more people come to Blue Sky. Yeah, I sent uh, Nicole an invite code, so hopefully she'll be on. Nicole, are you not on Blue Sky? Well, I I just got the invite code. Got a lot on my plate right now. All right, fine. We'll let it go. No, I'll be in the sky soon. Uh, We all know Twitter is not not the spot. So, Mm. yeah. You can find us at SoundtrackCast, Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, and uh, it's soundtrackcast.bluesky.social.whatever. It's not complicated at all. I know. You know, maybe that handle. this guy might want to look into that if they want. <laughs> Gee, I wonder, why is nobody on there? Gosh, like, gosh, yeah. I don't get yes. it. Yeah, Let's come up with know. handles that no one can use. Does anybody have a Mastodon? Because <laughs> I could not figure that out at all. I don't. I was using that, and I ended up throwing the laptop out the window. It's like, I don't understand how this yeah. works. This is for people who are way more intelligent than me. The people who, who use this, I think they're the ones, they understand the ending to No Country for Old Men. That's who uses Mastodon. <laughs> <laughs> Total overlap on the Venn diagram. Yeah, you know, that's it. That's right. Yeah. I All mean, I work one. in IT, and I'm like, pick a server. No. <laughs> pick a server. I know. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I think I'm, I think I'm out pick a server come on what are you talking about it's not one you're supposed to pick the server for me (laughs) that's right yes i'm not here to make decisions it's not what i'm here for well uh thank you again dan and uh, i'll let you know when this is coming out okay fantastic and um yeah thank you for your time this was this was great this i love talking con brothers this was lots of fun thank you for inviting me uh i don't get invited to a lot of other podcasts i don't know why that is maybe because Inside Lewin Davis is one of my favorite movies. Maybe there's a there's a, <laughs> there's a connector there. I'm not sure. But uh, yes, thank you very much for, for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun uh, chatting, chatting with both of you about uh, one of my favorite movies and subsequently one of my favorite soundtracks. Tracks.